This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 404 of the Yellow World Pod. I'm your host Stefan Wolzko and today we will talk about a 1-1 draw away to VfL Bochum, a 3-0 win against Kräuter Fürth and Saturdays and please don't ask me why, Bundesliga topspiel against Hertha Berlin. For all that and more, joins me Matthias Zug. Hello Matthias, how are you doing? I am doing well Stefan, how are you? <sighs> I don't know, <laughs> I'm kind of just annoyed with the entire situation, uh, I'm not best pleased with how Borussia Dortmund are faring these days. But um, Matthias, uh, I don't want to talk about the game just yet because there's something I'm actually excited about to talk about. Probably the only thing in this entire podcast, but uh, we don't have a sponsor for this episode. But I want to plug the long-awaited book by our good friend Terry DeFallon. It's called Borussia Dortmund, A History in Black and Yellow. From their humble beginnings to the present day, Die Schwarzgelben have always been at the forefront of German football. This book details their journey and how they became the key destination for young talent in the world game. The triumphs are celebrated here as we tell the history of one of the most celebrated clubs in Europe. Names you know, origin stories you don't, this book has them all. This is Borussia Dortmund, a history in black and yellow. Once again, uh, I really want to recommend this book to everyone and you must order the book at oakleysbooks.co.uk and is also available at Amazon but obviously it's always more helpful if you order the book directly via the publisher. Um, we're also going to do a giveaway soon and we will obviously have Terry on to talk about it. Um, that's also very exciting. So um, Matthias you have known Terry I think for even longer than me right? Yeah yeah I mean um, Terry um, and, and Mr. Hartley, uh, are the reasons why there's even a yellow wall podcast, uh, to be perfectly honest. Um, I was still living right in the area where you live right now. Um, when I was on their old German football podcast, um, good gosh, 10 years ago. And, um, in the summer after that, I moved to Colorado and, and floated the idea of a club focused English language podcast, both of them. Um, Mr. Hartley was kind enough to come up with the Yellow Wall Pod name, actually. And Terry uh, was very supportive. And so I'm really, really excited about this book. I have a German one that I bought, yeah, about 10 years ago. It's called Der Ruhm, Der Traum und die Leidenschaft. It's the history of Borussia Dortmund, but it was still with Jürgen Klopp in charge there and very young Lucas Barrios and so on and so forth on there. Uh, so I'm very excited to read this book from Terry and uh, to purchase it and get it in my hands. I'm, I do have some eBooks, but I, I'm still, I, I mean, you know, I'm old, so <laughs> I still prefer actually holding a book and reading it. There's just something about that that I personally enjoy more. I feel like I enjoy the book more. I, I understand it better if I could, hold it it's silly maybe but so be it 
Uh, so I look forward to to getting that at some point. Yeah, my favorite uh, consummation of a book is actually I I really prefer audiobooks. I really like to like just sit down and, and listen to it, or you know, fall asleep while listening to it, or you know, at, sitting at the beach and and listening to an audiobook is also one of my favorite things because that way you can actually stare off into the distance. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah. Uh, Less, uh, less about me and uh, more about uh, Borussia Dortmund now, uh, Matthias. <laughs> I might I might want to tap into your uh, vast age <laughs> when we talk about the Europa League draw against uh, Rangers FC. But in the meantime, uh, we still have to yeah cover some Bundesliga stuff. So, um, yeah, Dortmund obviously had this uh, uh, long-awaited away trip to VfL Bochum, the small Revier derby where I think... I don't know, 15 kilometers is what people say. I don't know what the actual distance is between the stadiums, but either way, you know, Bochum is just around the corner. You know, it's it's hard to say where sometimes Bochum starts and Dortmund ends, etc. But um, yeah, so we had a, a very interesting game, I want to say, where uh, the expected goals read 1.02 to 2.9 in the end. Uh, we had uh, four shots with three on target by Bochum and 23 shots with eight on target by by Dortmund, we had 0 to 15 corners, 62% possession by Dortmund. Dortmund uh, ran 120 kilometers, which is four more than Bochum did. And we had 243 sprints to Bochum's 238. So this was a very lopsided affair. Yet in the end, Dortmund only hold one point. And uh, yeah. Not a lot of uh, people were very happy with that result. Um, obviously, Marco Rose was uh, sidelined for this one after you know his suspension that he uh, got in the Bayern game. And uh, yeah, Zico after the game at the press conference said that there's not too much to complain about in this game because you know it's just one of those where the ball just seemingly doesn't go over the line as often as you wanted. I mean, I think. Bochum had what three or four goal line clearances, and uh, yeah, a very good goalkeeper uh, also. But uh, yeah, what what are you making of this game? Well, I think it's best summarized in a tweet. I can't remember if it was you or Lars who tweeted it out, who basically said, you know, this game can go on forever and Dortmund won't score. <laughs> um, I mean, it's just one of those games, and those games do sometimes happen. Uh, I agree with Marco Rosa. I agree with what I, I my own eye sees. And also at last week, he said, this is one of the best first halves Dortmund's ever played and just got unlucky. And it was actually a very good, very well executed game by Dortmund and Bochum just got lucky. I mean, it's not just that Dortmund got unlucky. Bochum also got lucky. I mean, they talk about tenacious defending, but a couple of those goal line clearances, it's not like the Bochum player even knew what was happening. It was almost like the ball happened to find them. Yeah, like and the shot by Meunier. Yeah, <laughs> and they just kind of scrambled it away. I mean, it's not like uh, we've seen it before. I'm thinking specifically of, say, Augsburg last season, where they just defended so deeply and succinctly as a unit uh, and were able to almost like strategize, uh, you know, getting goal line clearances or anything like that. That wasn't the case here. I mean, it was just unlucky bounces for one, lucky for the other. Um, Bochum did not deserve to get a point out of that. Uh, Dortmund definitely deserved to get three points out of that. But, you know, karma is karma, Stefan. And you could argue almost that the result 
from Wednesday, you probably could have flipped Wednesday's result with Fuet and Bochum result, and maybe that would have been more, I don't know, I guess correct when you look at the overall performances. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, you know, Fuet were unlucky to a degree. I mean, maybe they were not unlucky to lose, but they were unlucky to lose the way they, you know, by three goals. And Bochum were completely lucky to not get absolutely blown away in that game, which they should have been. So, and, and it really comes down to, you know, a lot of people are pinpointing uh, Kobe for that uh, reckless challenge. One that he really didn't have to make. It was, again, one of those situations where the, the striker's kind of actually going away from goal. There was no real reason for him to rush out like he did. But it, but I thought about it when I saw it was the the discussion we had, I think, two weeks prior to that, where I said, well, hopefully, you know, with some insecurities in the back line and the constant reshuffling, that Kobel doesn't feel like he has to do too much. He doesn't have to do the Buki thing, where, you know, Buki just felt like he had to do more because he couldn't trust his back line. And I saw that, and I remember, I think it was once again Lutz van because uh, apparently he's the only one Dortmund get anymore. The most annoying uh, guy. I'm he, sorry. But he knows Kobel. He knows Kobe really well, and Fanstil was a goalkeeper, and he actually coached uh, Kobe at 15, even at Hoffenheim. Be that as it may, he said, you know, that was almost like a, a mistake you would you would see from Bürki, and I thought, yeah, and maybe for that exact reason. <laughs> but the situation never should have occurred had Dan Axel Zagadou not been so lax and sloppy again in buildup. I mean, it is it is a liability right now at the back with him at times, with him being too nonchalant with the ball in clearance and buildup situations. And that's what led directly to that scene. So a more composed buildup, that scene never would have materialized. Ever. Yeah, that is true. Because but it did. Lugia, who won the ball of Bellingham, if you will, uh, because Bellingham was the addressee of that pass. Uh, Lugia knew the ball was coming to Bellingham before Zagadou probably knew he was going to play that pass. And Zagadou 100% needs to read that situation, that there's... I don't even want to call it the pressing trap, because it wasn't even subtle. <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and obviously, yeah, you can talk about whether maybe uh, Bellingham could move more toward the, the pass um, and, uh, you know, cut off Logia a little bit better. But, uh, you know, Bellingham, I think, in this situation, is trying to turn the other way and toward the opponent's goal. And, uh, yeah, I, it's just something that Zagadou, first of all, needs to read. But the, the next thing, you know, so then Zagadou, I think, tries to regain possession, you know, moves out of the back line and uh, moves forward and uh, is unsuccessful. And then, of course, the pass gets played out to Antwi uh, Ajay. And uh, what really irks me in, in this pass to Ajay is obviously he has beaten everyone, um, is that when we talk about reading the situation, Thomas Meunier is... He's just jogging backwards and the entire play doesn't affect him whatsoever. In no <laughs> millisecond of the entire sequence, he does not raise his tempo whatsoever. He's just jogging back at the same speed. You know, when when the pass gets played into, a, into the Bochum attacker, you would assume that a good right back 
well, actually, a good right back would have already tracked that run before. Um, but a better right back than Meunier in this situation would have at least then increased his speed and, and tried to help. So that didn't really happen. And then, of course, the only guy who was still in a position to do anything about it, uh, minus Kobel, is Mats Hummels. And uh, I think this is a bit of the the, the crux of Kobel when you talk about um, Kobel not trusting his backline. I think um, the relationship between him and Hummels is a bit shady right now uh, because the, the trust uh, that Kobel has had in Hummels, let's put it this way right now, just isn't there. Probably also... Uh, you know, a consequence of, of the Bayern game. And uh, Hummels had a real tantrum uh, after Kobel's foul because he obviously knew that this was the right, uh, the the wrong decision by Kobel to come out there. <laughs> I don't I don't actually know if Birki would have made this mistake, to be honest, because Roman Birki is not one that really leaves his line this quickly. Um, now, it's also annoying that Kobel then doubled down on, on the sliding tackle. I feel like he could have at least avoided that one. Um, but so it was really a clear penalty. And Matthias, I've just been... To to me, that was really annoying in this entire situation. It was Kobel who made the error because I feel like we, as Open fans, have relied so heavily on him. And uh, obviously, I've been raving about Kobel so many times on this podcast already. Um, so, you know, for him to make the mistake is uh, even more annoying because so far he has really pitched almost a flawless game for the entire season. And uh, yeah, this one is a really painful one because it obviously means Dortmund dropped points and there are no two ways around it. Had Kobel not made this error, um, it still probably would have not been, you know, anything other than a, a whiff by Bochum, <laughs> knowing them. Uh, so yeah, this is uh, this is really something that that eats me up that uh, these mistakes happen. And uh, yeah, obviously in the uh, relationship among the backlines, also not helpful if uh, your supposed leader of the backline throws an epic tantrum. Uh, so yeah, it's it's one of those situations that uh, obviously do occur for Borussia Dortmund many times against any opponent because, uh, you know, even VfL Bochum will get a chance or not. And uh, the way Dortmund cocked this up, let's put it the way that it is, is also just uh, an indictment on their entire backtracking. And uh, why we can obviously say that uh, the fact that Dortmund didn't score is maybe down to variance. Um, the, the fact that they conceded certainly is not and there is certain blame there. And uh, that's really what's annoying about this game. Yes, Bellingham and Haaland both had excellent chances in the first half to go up 1-0, 2-0 or whatnot, and uh, we would have never discussed about, uh, you know, this penalty, which clearly was one. Um, but uh, yeah, here we are, and that's, to me, the most annoying part. Obviously, um, Matthias, there have been so many bright spots too in this game. You know, the uh, pass from Bellingham, for example, to Haaland... Uh, in the, in the first half where he dribbles through two or three players first was amazing Haaland's pass to set up Bellingham for this big chance that Riemann saves uh, also quite genius play um, there was so much free-flowing and attacking football against a really defensive-minded opponent that uh, in many ways this was a very encouraging performance right well absolutely and to to pick up 
you know your little baseball pitching analogy. You know, sometimes even the great pitchers hit a batter. Um, you know, sometimes you throw a wild pitch. It can happen. Uh, but to to kind of dissect that whole backline situation and the lack of trust you're talking about when it comes to Holmes and Kobe, there was a scene in the in the Fiat game where there was a clear miscommunication between exactly those two players. Yeah, you can and, hear Torvald <laughs> very loudly yeah. and Holmes is still going to it. Yeah, yeah, but but part of that is also understanding, you know, playing together for for a longer period of time. Uh, I don't have problem with Mats Holmes throwing a tantrum. He's a senior player. Uh, sometimes, you know, goalkeepers bitch out their backline every two seconds. <laughs> I'm okay if they get barked at for being stupid because that was stupid. But if we look at that whole backline situation in that game, and then you can also look at it in the foot game, you have, um, and it, it all comes down to Akanji. I mean, it really does. And it shows how important he is because Akanji out, and then you have a left-footed player like Zagadu who is incapable of playing on the right side. We've seen it. It ain't pretty. So that means Holmans has to move to the right. He prefers to play on the left side in a backline pairing. And so that immediately changes things because you have Thomas Meunier on the right-hand side who is a good fullback. And I feel like he's vastly improved this season over last. But his reaction time isn't super fast. Never has been. And so you're coupling that with super pacey attackers from Bochum, then looking at Mats Hummels, who we all know, he was never pacey, even when he was 20 years old, but he's definitely not gotten faster with time. And then you have Zagadou, who's just very, he's always been, this is my biggest criticism of Zagadou, is he's very lax at times. He lacks concentration far too often And he's sloppy in his build-up play far too often because he's too lax. Like, it just, there's a lack of sense of urgency at times with him. And you always wonder, how can a team like PSG let such a highly talented young player just go to Dortmund? It's because they probably saw this and went, yeah, we'll just let him go. And then, then you have Nico Schulz (laughs) on the left-hand side. And I hate, I really hate, I, I don't like the character assassination that happened with uh, Roman Bürki. You and I have talked about that uh, off recording, that, that that's the biggest thing that churned my stomach with him. With Nico Schulz, it's very hard not to fall into that trap because, let's just say, he's not a very good player. Um, his only attribute that speaks for him is speed, which saves him at times. His passing is bad. His decision-making is bad. His build-up play is bad. I mean, it's just bad. Um, but he's the best bad alternative and the only alternative that Dortmund have right now on that left-back side. And not to say Guerrero is, you know, a world-beater at left-back, but there's a certain level of confidence that at least his offensive positioning and his passing play will work. Backtracking defensive position in Guerrero is horrendous. I've always said that, and it's been proven time and time again. But Nico Schulz is just worse. And then that just trickles through the whole back line and the whole team. And I feel bad for Nico Schulz. I don't know him personally. Uh, maybe he's a, he's probably a really nice guy. 
But it's like you can just tell there is no confidence in him from anybody in the team and even his coach in the press conference after the fifth game was like, well, he tries. (laughs) Doesn't really come off that often, basically. You know, he's trying his best was the summary. And that is such an (laughs) indictment. I didn't even see that press conference, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was basically, you know, Schule, he's trying. It's like, okay, well... You know, a lot of people can try. But uh, at this point, I would just as soon see, see Felix Paslak out there. And that, that says a lot. Eh, I wouldn't Pas- that far. <laughs> well, Paslak tries too. Maybe throw somebody else out there who tries. No, this is, um, this is just, you know, I mean, cha- making a change for the sake of making a change. If I would change anything, it would be maybe Guerrero's professionalism slash uh, a muscular, muscular transplant because... Um, this guy is missing too many freaking games uh, for Dortmund to not have a better backup. <laughs> Let's just put it this way. Um, you know, the, the the problem is those two games, I, I actually, well, you know, obviously it's always great to have Guerrero on, no matter the opponent. But if you have two opponents that really clock the middle, and especially Fürth, um, and, and the way Dortmund play right now, you have to have fullbacks that can create something. You know, if it, if it were Guerrero and Murray uh, in these two games, the entire dynamic, the entire structure of the game just in, immediately changes to something much better and much nicer to watch because so much more build-up <laughs> and, 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 and ball progression is, is possible, especially against Fürth. That game was also just so terrible to watch because Nico Schulz and Meunier were <laughs> way too often tasked with uh, finding a spark, finding an idea. And I think Schulz had one good through ball to Royce or whatnot. And uh, good for him. But overall, over the entire game, it's just tedious to watch. Um, you see that Dortmund players are making runs, overlapping runs or runs behind the defense. And they just, they both don't have the technical ability to to pick up those runs most of the time. It's just, the decision-making just isn't there. The uh, the pace of the Bundesliga, even against Fürth, is sometimes too far for their minds. And obviously, I wouldn't do any better. But, uh, you know, as an observant from, <laughs> from TV, it, it's... It just it just uh, not on the on the level that Dortmund need to have fullbacks on because they just you know the the way Dortmund play they need a little bit more playmaking uh, yeah mojo from from those uh, sides so when Guerrero is there the entire dynamic of Dortmund's game just changes so dramatically and uh, yeah he's just been uh, missed quite quite a bit so I really hope he is uh, healthy against Hertha. And uh, yeah, you know, you've you said it pre-pod, you know, the amount of injuries in general, you know, Guerrero's out for that game. Then uh, I think Marlon had an illness uh, against Fürth. I think Wolf, Wolf was Wolf out. Is out. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not helping. At, at least Hazard was back. And of course, in the second half, you had um, Julian Brandt also come on to the surprise of many people. But, uh, you know, at least it was like 20 minutes. And uh, you can also see just how good Julian Brandt is right now um you know we can obviously talk about um the 
way Dortmund came out of the locker room to uh, start the second half because that was also really encouraging because I th I thought while they were actually playing better in the first half than in the second half because they had a little bit more structure, um, it, it, you know, th there was a lot of urgency coming out of the locker room and Bochum really were riding their luck. You know, that's where where you had, uh, I think, uh, Royce having a good chance or I don't know if he tried to shoot it or, or find Haaland. But uh, yeah, it was cleared of the goal line, contested by Haaland. And then uh, I think Meunier had a shot and Schultz had something cleared off the line. So there was really sort of a moment, a period of power play. Um, and then, of course, um, as so often, Matthias, and um, this is basically what's my question going to be now. Um, we had Dortmund score a goal and Bellingham was offside. You know, he was in the line of the side of the goalkeeper. Um, people have argued that, you know, there was a Dortmund uh, a Bochum defender that also blocked the keeper's view. And uh, it doesn't really matter if Bellingham is there or not. Yes, but uh, the rules are the rules, really. And uh, I think it was applied correctly here. It's not a goal. But yet again... A break of I don't know a minute or two. Everyone's standing around, and uh, I feel like the VAR in this instance is just killing Dortmund's momentum. And uh, I don't know. I've I've been a proponent of VAR, but I, I feel like at, at this point, and especially in the context also of the Bayern game, of VAR not really helping. <laughs> <laughs> in in the first place, you know, it does not really eradicate the Bayern bonus as I may have hoped. Um, I'm I'm starting to you know think maybe it's just time to scrap the entire thing and uh, you know just live with the wrong calls that referees are making. Um, how how are you seeing this? Because you know even the offside checks take so long that it just kills flow and momentum of a game, and for Dortmund that's right now really unhelpful. Well, I'm a a staunch opponent of VAR. Um, I think it won't get scrapped. It's here forever now. Um, the offsides by millimeters thing, I, I can see why it annoys some people. Uh, for me, it's either offside or it's not offside. Um, that's not an interpretation thing. I think they need to, and, and it will improve over time. I mean, it's still a new technology in that sense. And it's already better now than it was when it first got implemented. The speed at which... Uh, that kind of stuff can be calibrated, I think needs to go quicker. I have a bigger problem with a situation where, uh, as an example, it's a very clear handball where a player's arm is fully extended away from their body and the ball hits it and it gets deflected away. And for some reason, VAR needs to take a long time to look at it and then tells the ref, hey, you go look at it. And the ref stands there for surprisingly a minute and goes, okay, it's a penalty when it's a penalty. Like there is no doubt that should have been a VAR checks it. Hey, you're going to take a look at this. We believe it's a penalty. He quickly dashes over to the screen, takes a look at it, goes, yep, that's a clear penalty. And that's the stuff that bothers me. Or that what bothers me is honestly what happened with the Hummus thing. Because I'm sorry, it's still bullshit. That's still utter and complete bullshit. And the misuse of the technology is what bothers me. Because it still comes down to people and their interpretation. And that's what VAR is supposed to take out of it, is that interpretive aspect 
to be taken away to a degree. With offsides, it's either offside or it's not. There's there's no interpretation. There are clear handballs. You give them. It shouldn't be that long of a debate. The, the Hummels incident where he got pushed and was falling and had his arm slightly extended and he wasn't even looking at the ball to take that long to then decide for a bullshit penalty. I'm sorry. I have no understanding for that. <laughs> um, it's just, it, I'll never give that one up ever, you know, and we go back to the Boateng situation from, I don't remember if it was last season or the season before that, where it was like, how is that not a handball penalty? It struck his arm and deflected away from goal. That is a penalty. And so that's the stuff that bothers me. So it's not even the tech it's the douchebags running it at times um, with clear favoritism. And in situations like this, yeah, the, the Bellingham thing, that was offside. I don't think you can really misinterpret that. Uh, according to the rules, it's offside. If a Bochum player is standing there as well, it doesn't matter because he can't trigger an offside on himself. Like, it doesn't negate an offside position in that sense. They're not infringing it. If you're infringing on your own keeper, tough noogies. You know, that's just, okay. You know, but if the opposition player is doing it that benefits the opposition, then the rule applies as so it should. Yeah. Um, so, but I'm, I'm still in favor of VAR. And I think a lot of this stuff, you know, every year we've seen it now, they they continuously like evolve and, and make it smoother and better. And I would argue it's better now than it was when it first started. And then probably in a year or two, it's going to be better then than it is now. Yeah. I'm I'm still struggling with it right now. So um yeah. That that's all I have to say. Obviously, um the goal by Julian Brandt in the end I, it was really nice and it's a shame that Dortmund didn't manage to find the winner later. Um you know, also kudos I think in the end to Bochum that they did muster good defense, but um yeah. Very annoying game. And, uh, you know, the only consolation for me was that I got to meet Adam Dorowski <laughs> later because he was in Philadelphia and uh, had some bratwurst. That was really nice. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty much about it because uh, my, my my day was otherwise quite ruined by this, especially since, you know, on the uh, in, in, in the Bayern game, they were also down uh, to, to Mainz, who are really high-flying right now and uh, managed to turn their game around, of course, and we just uh, fell short. And, uh, you know, if you want to have a title race, <laughs> as desperately I want to have one, you know, it would be really cool, you know, to not have a six-point gap. Uh, yeah, this one really would have had. But, uh, yeah, here we are again. And uh, it kind of felt to me like it put a bit of a dagger into the season, Matthias. And this is a perfect segue to the third game, which Dortmund obviously won. You know, expected goals 2.01 for Dortmund to third 0.75. And they, I must add, did not get a penalty. So uh, the attacking output by third was much, much better than anything that Bochum produced in, in their 90 minutes. Um, shots were, you know, Dortmund had 12 shots, 5 on target uh, to thirds one shot on target. Um, I think they had 8 in total and uh, 5 to 8 corners. So third actually won the corner battle. It wasn't that lopsided. And uh, yeah, Dortmund had 64% possession, ran 119 kilometers, had 20, uh, 235 sprints to Fürth's 205. So um, it's interesting 
considering how slow moving Dortmund's attack was, that they both out sprinted and outran Fürth in this entire game. <laughs> the eye test certainly did not uh, suggest that. And uh, yeah, so you had, to sum it all up, you had players bickering, you had fans cheering, uh, you had the coach arguing with TV pundits, you had opposing coaches now complaining about the Dortmund bonus and uh, whatever <laughs> Daniel Marlin's new haircut is. So a lot of a lot of things to unpack here. Um, Matthias, uh, what are you making of this somehow very gruesome performance, yet a 3 nothing win and the second clean sheet of the season? Well, first of all, I fully applaud Donny Malin for his haircut because oh I, 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 as someone with a shaved head, I can only agree that that definitely makes you better at your sport. Because <laughs> um, obviously that was the problem. No, I mean, this game, I mean, first of all, okay, let's, let's unpack a few of these things. Rashid Azuzi, shut up. Um, Didi Haman, <laughs> Go away. I mean, is it just me or is every single ex-Bayern player who is a TV expert pundit a complete and total asshole? I mean, is it just... I was going to go for is a it tool, just, but yeah. I mean, like, is that just their thing? From Mehmet Scholl to Didi Hamann to Mario Basla to Oli Khan and all these morons over time. It's like, are you just so... So dedicated to the Bayon assholeness that you continue that on in your retirement and you spew the assholedness <laughs> of your previous existence. I mean, fuck off. So, uh, and I completely agree with Marco Rose I, and Didi I, Haman can just. I didn't do even one. get to see it, but uh, on the one hand, uh, you can see the frustration of the Dortmund coach. On the other hand, Didi Haman has been a lifelong tool, and I just absolutely can't do with his takes. And I really don't know why he has to be the pundit in this dumbass Sky Studio. Uh, Jesus Christ. And I'm glad that I don't have to watch him on a regular. Now I'm uh, blessed with the likes of Lutz Pfannstiel. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, still better trade-off than Didi Hamann. Didi Hamann makes me miss Lothar Matthäus. Okay? Because <laughs> um, at least Lothar Matthäus occasionally actually had good analytical takes. Didi Haman just spews bullshit. So fuck him. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now, now I'm, now I'm ready to roll. Um, <laughs> All right. As you were as, about game... as worked up as Dortmund players were <laughs> on the field because Jesus Christ was there. A lot of complaining yeah, I mean, among people in black and yellow. Yeah. I mean, it was a, a discombobulated performance to put it lightly. Um, it lacked flow until, and I know people always give me shit for this, until Modahut came on, and then it seemingly was better. But you look at that lineup, um, and, and, you know, yeah, it's a midweek match against uh, a bottom table side in December. These are always going to suck. Um, that's just... I don't know, like I was low-key hoping 40, for like a 6-7 nothing. No, oh, no, 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 no. 40, year, 40 plus years of Dortmund fandom, <laughs> these always suck. Okay. I mean, we uh, whether had a five it's nothing or whatever it was against Besiktas, no. so. Yeah, well, you know, that's a little different. Maybe. Um, but that that's that's not Greuther Fürth. Okay. The the thing about Fürth, and I actually have watched some Fürth games because I'm like, they can't be this bad. And they're not this bad. I mean, that's the thing. You watch some of their games, and it's like, it simply comes down to the individual quality of players just isn't good enough. 
but they play every team hard, even the ones that blow them away. And it's just, you know, Dortmund scored three goals. Yeah, one was a penalty, one was a set piece, and then, of course, Donny Malin uh, with a really cool goal. But that's just what happens to teams like Fürth. You know, they just can't keep it up for 90 minutes because they're just qualitatively not that good. And their best players all got taken after their promotion. So it's just, that's just the way it is. So Dortmund winning 3-0 against Koytafit by not, even though they didn't play well, sure. Because they played really well against Bochum and didn't get the win. So it's fine. Um, it was very stop-start. It was, uh, yeah, it was just not a pretty game. But... Um, in the past, a lot of these not pretty games, Dortmund lost. And this time they won. So, fine. We move on. Uh, the next game, I already know, isn't going to be pretty because it's against a horrendously bad shit coach. Sorry, I'm really worked up right now. No, it's um, okay. <laughs> no, no, no. But it's just, it's just that time of year. It's, it's when Dortmund never shines. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, even under Klopp and so on, this was always the time of year where it was like, Ugh. you know, how are we going to draw against bottom of the table cone kind of a game? You know, it's just, just feels that way always. So, you know, it, again, what do you expect at times in a game like this when well, you have... You see, here's what I actually expect, Matthias, and we can maybe talk about the rift between those two games because we have just analyzed the Bochum game for probably way too long. And against Bochum, you saw a team with a good spirit. You saw a team that was, you know, doing pretty much all the things right you need to do against an opponent like Bochum. I thought they were fighting really hard. They were playing well. They had good combination play. There was a flow. And uh, yeah, in the end, uh, obviously... Uh, it, it wasn't enough and it was super unlucky and uh, one of those one in a million games and where you say, well, football is a low scoring game, yada, yada. <laughs> and I uh, was super frustrated, but I feel like then you you, you tune into the Greuther Fürth game and you see an entirely different team. You see Dortmund just completely frustrated. And I, I mean, I can understand, you know, I've been frustrated too with this week between uh Bayern and Bochum, you know, all this stuff that happened, all the shit that went down. Um, I can absolutely, under absolutely understand that Dortmund players are super unhappy with the development because before that, the final home game before the Bayern match, we had Dortmund fans singing about the German championship. We had, uh, you know, a really good win in uh, Wolfsburg where, uh, you know, they were also really singing loudly. And then we had a performance against Bayern where you can actually be sort of proud of and say, okay, um, you know, in, in maybe one out of ten games, <laughs> at least don't want to come up, or five or six or seven out of ten, maybe. Yeah, I, I think I misspoke there because uh, Dortmund were... For, for most parts, a better team and didn't get away with anything. And then you travel to Bochum, play really well and don't get a result. So I can understand the frustration, but uh, it's it's still weird to see it all out there this blatantly on, on the field. And uh, yeah, it's, it's almost worrying because the performance was really bad. Um, I think any other team than Fürth will probably capitalize on Dortmund's mistakes they made in build-up. And the lack of backtracking, uh, unfortunately for Fürth, they just don't have the quality to to do it. 
um yeah and on of 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 course it it took a while for Dortmund to even get going to get on the score sheet um i i think there's not really much of a debate about the penalty it is a handball and uh, it's obviously very unfortunate for for to concede a penalty like this but uh, you know we've all suffered these you know Emre Can and Nico Schulz in the Champions League <laughs> have something to say about it and um yeah uh, obviously the uh it, it it took quite a while for Dortmund to score another one and uh, you could really sense the the frustration also coming from the stands the boos and the whistles when you know the lethargic build up was uh, not really quick enough for people's liking i don't know to me it was just overall dysfunction and an expression of uh yeah how the recent weeks have been going and uh yeah just i think everyone is just very unnerved i don't know what else to say well i mean for me and again i you know was it 10 minutes ago i said i hate character assassination dogpiling but and what i was going to say was what do you expect when axel witzel is in the side um, and I know you can't play Dahoud, who every minute of every game, but Dortmund are a completely different side. If your double pivot is anybody but with Axel Witzel, <laughs> I mean, when it's Dahoud and Bellingham, Dahoud, Bellingham, Chan, Chan, Bellingham, you know, I mean, you need Dahoud because you need a playmaker. Because uh, neither Bellingham nor Chan are playmakers, uh, especially if you're lacking playmaking buildup from the back. Dahoud is indispensable. Sidebar: in how, how do you think? How do you feel about Dahoud Zakaria as a double pivot? Um, I would applaud it. Um, you know, and I think uh, it is something that Dortmund will have to look at because. You know, within the next couple of years, Jude Bellingham's going to be gone. Um, I think Chan is playing himself more into a alternate role, though a good alternate. And I like him in that central midfield more than anywhere else because his erratic behavior gets balanced out by those around him. So he's not as, I guess, uh, vulnerable as if he's like a last man or a fullback. Plus, he's actually that's his position in central midfield. But Axel Witzel, there's no aggression. His 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 uh, pressing resistance is good. I mean, he can move around in, in, in that regards, but he has no progressive passing. He has no progressive movement. And tracking back, he jogs. Bellingham, Dahoot, Chan, they don't jog. Those are not jogging players. And, you know, I know people like to harp on Chan because he can be crazy at times. I love that, actually, because I feel like Dortmund don't have that enough. And his energy and his combativeness is something that Axel Witzel just doesn't have in his DNA. He just doesn't. And that's fine. Not everyone should be the same. But you need that player. And once Dahoud came in, it changed. Now, I will argue that I understand why John came in for Royce because Royce needed a break. But in a perfect world, John would have come in for Witzel, in my opinion. I think um, they, m they might have made a so, last-second uh, change true. because of the Hazard injury, right? True, true. No, that's that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, that, I, I don't know for sense. sure, but that's what I, I assume happened yeah. there. Yeah, because, you know, Witzel, when, he was, when it was peak Witzel, 
you know, like Favre's first season, Axel was fantastic. He was absolutely fantastic. He was also the but perfect Favre player. Exactly. I was going to say he's built for a Favre slower, more patient build-up system where you're sitting a little bit deeper. You're not overly aggressive in your pressing. That's that's his style. He, you know, he should join Favre wherever that is next. But he doesn't fit to to this. He doesn't fit with anybody who was before Favre or everybody anybody since Favre. Um, whereas Bellingham, John, and Dahoud, and honestly, I and you know Thomas Delaney, he was perfect for this kind of a system, and and I feel like Dortmund could really use him. Uh, right now, but uh, I think you know they'll they'll figure that whole thing out um, in the summer anyway. So yeah, maybe in that winter. for there me, there are rumors that Zakaria might go true, to Dortmund true. for seven million this winter, yeah. and I would take I him, would take appreciate him. that. Oh, I will bite his hand off to take that. <laughs> are you kidding me? Yeah, I like my hand so much. <laughs> well, the thing is, I'm not going to bite my hand off. I'll bite off Max Eba's hand. <laughs> okay. Um, no, 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 no. I'm too selfish for that. Um, but, I, I mean, the dynamism, if you have Bellingham, John, Dahoud, Zakaria in your central midfield, that is a dynamic midfield that won't get out-hustled, that won't get out-worked, that won't get out-pressed, and doesn't give up the ball easily. And, and that heart will already alleviate the pain and pressure that you then have on what I feel like is going to be an entire season of makeshift backlines. You know, because if if you... Witzel, for me, is a no-go. is an absolute no-go at this point. He I cannot stand seeing him in the lineup because I know what it's going to do. And it compounds the situation. If you're aggressive against Axel Witzel, he's useless. If you give him time, he's great. But if you put pressure on him, if you clog the central area, he doesn't know what to do, and he's horrible at progressive passing. And so if I look at the lineup, while you were talking, I was like flipping between the Bochum lineup and the Fürth lineup. I mean, okay, I mean, you had Togan Gazad versus uh, Wolf. Take that as well. It's yeah, Witzel and Dahoud. That's the di- yeah. I mean, that's that's the big difference right there. And Brandt and John, but really, it's Witzel and Dahoud. That's that's the big difference. And once Dahoud came in against Fürth, it immediately changed. You still had Witzel next to him. I, you know, again, in a perfect world, if you take off Bellingham, you kind of got to put on John in there, and then take off Witzel and put in Dahoud. I mean, that would have been the the perfect swap, but. You know, you're you're not always in that type of situation. Um, so I get it. For me, it, it's get to the winter break, get to the January transfer window, bring in a left back, central midfielder, and a backup striker, and and we're good. Yeah, and maybe did, did you say center back? <laughs> no, I wouldn't necessarily go with center back. I mean, Zagadu, if you solidify the fullback positions, that will help your central defenders as well because you have Zagadu, you have Pograncic already in there. Akanji's going to be fit again in the new year. <laughs> well, you, when, when, you when sweet him... Shied. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, still, if Akanji and Hummels are in there, no one's getting past them in the lineup. So who are you going to get then? So right. I think you're fine there right now. But that left back, man, because the thing is, if you, if you bring in a left back, a proper starting left back, well, then your option is to put Guerrero in central midfield. Exactly. 
and and then you have so much creativity and dynamism in there and you accentuate his strengths and you eliminate his weaknesses completely yeah i mean you can even put him not even in central midfield put him behind the striker at times because then you're not even asking him to track back um and and that for me would be the the perfect solution even more i mean if you get adiyemi and you get a proper starting left back i i can then be okay with waiting with for a zakaria type player until the summer because you can move guerrero in central midfield yeah. and with adiyemi you can put him on the wings at times and then you have more flexibility you bring in those two then then i think dortmund's fine uh through to the summer yeah, maybe. We'll, we'll see. Um, it's yeah, I don't know. There, there are so many moving parts right now. I don't even know where to start. What I wanted to bring up though, real quick, um, in the seventy-fifth minute when uh, Marlon and John came on, um, there was a the the first two minutes of of John being on, there was really this awkward moment where he sort of told his teammates, including also Haaland, I think, to to press because. Um, that's a point I'm, you know, almost mentioning every week now, but I feel like, and Marco Rose as the head coach and, uh, you know, his assistant coaches, they have to address this that Dortmund still don't know how and when to press. You know, let's talk about the lack of automatism in Dortmund's, uh, pressing. And, um, it's, it's not only that, it's, it's the compactness. Because these are the two things that you really do need to have a good pressing. You a need to have a good trigger points. You need to uh, the entire team needs to know who to press when and, and and who sort of gives the signal and who the you know who who triggers the entire pressing motion. Because it's you know like a like a school of fish where bigger chuck swim through every fish every other fish around needs to know and react exactly. In in, uh, in 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 a similar time frame, and Dortmund just don't do that right now, and it's annoying as hell. Because I really hope that by now, under Marco Rose, this one thing would have improved, but it has not, to my personal satisfaction. And um, you know, just this moment where Emre Can is, you know, basically moving his hands around, you know, telling people to press opponents and. Uh, you know, it, it all breaks down immediately after. It's just, it's just not nice and fun to watch. And I feel like had Dortmund gotten this down a little bit better, I think they they'd be a completely different team in terms of how good they are. Because I still feel like uh, Dortmund do not utilize the ability they have to counterattack enough. Because that is something you get from counterpressing and winning the ball ball high up the field. And I. feel think that there are way more opportunities for them to actually do that and especially against side like uh Fürth. and even if you just force them to to punt the ball eventually there will be a a moment where they actually just try to pass it and then you intercept it and then you have the space to combine and i think Dortmund need to bring themselves more often into this situation and um yeah obviously uh <laughs> i can totally understand why it's not there yet just because of the million injuries and uh I think a lot of players are just tired. Um, but at the same time, I also think there's a systematic problem that uh, players really don't know where the trigger points are and, and how to run up against opponents. And that is also down to the coaching staff. And I really hope 
that they can figure this one out um, because it's really annoying. And uh, as for the pressing, this is one thing. The other thing that really annoys me very often is the compactness um, because I, I think the spaces between Dortmund players uh, at almost any given moment in the game are, are often way too far apart. And uh, when we talk about positional play, I think there's a certain discipline that comes to it in, in the positional play that you are always aware where your teammates are, where the ball is, and that you are um, not spread out too far because then you cast a much narrower net to uh, gain the ball. And uh, yeah, I, I just I just think that in, in so many moments of the game, uh, momentum is wasted because Dortmund players are standing too far apart. And uh, I think while we can lament Axel Witzel, I think there are also systematic uh, problems with this Dortmund team, why ball progression isn't fast enough. It's because the spaces between players are, are too far. And obviously, then if you add that uh, the, the fullbacks can't really run around as, as they want to and not really uh, you know, speed up the play, I, I think the angles and the, the the spaces between fullbacks and the rest of the teams also needs to be narrowed down so you make it easier for Schultz so he doesn't have to pick out a 20 meter pass but maybe just a 15 or 11 meter pass something like that it's it's just a couple of details right now that really annoy me and I think the the third game really highlighted in many ways that Dortmund just aren't there where they need to be from a tactical standpoint and uh, it doesn't really matter what system you apply it just uh, very often the case and um you know Dortmunds have so much individual quality that many times it doesn't matter but I still feel like um there's so much more potential uh, that's untapped in in this team and uh, yeah something about that needs to happen rent over well I I agree and disagree um that's okay you know I, I agree that that there are obvious. I mean, it's clear, you know, there that there are issues in the pressing, especially when certain players are not playing, versus when other players are playing. Um, I will. I mean, first of all, uh, a little side tangent: the people on Twitter who call themselves Dortmund fans who are calling for Marco Rose to get sacked. Can you just shut the fuck up? <laughs> I mean, that's just that's just stupid. I mean, you're 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 opening yourself up to the stupidity that you are. Um, because that's imbecilic. I, I'll be honest, um, I've not seen a single person tweet that. Oh, oh, I've had it tweeted at me so many times that this is all down to Marco Rosa. So first of all, um, this is a team that in its core is the same 12 months ago. So you went from a Favre system to a, a transitionary Tezic system, which did not look good for the first few months is the last three months where it looked amazing um, to a new system with Marco Rosa. And you lost Jaden Sancho. Okay. He was, he was a very, very key component to the success. With I did, I, in the final three months. Him. He never did anything yeah. good. Mm, no, 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 just 16 goals in the second half of the season. Um, but building a cohesive tactic with a cohesive press. I look at uh, Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp, who are, probably, who are the two best when it comes to this, by far. Uh, and even Thomas Tuchel. Um, it took specific looking at Guardiola and Klopp. It took them a few years at Manchester City and at Liverpool to transition out of a system that didn't do that 
to a system that did do that and getting the right players in. I mean, they all have world-class players now. Let's not forget. I mean, the billion-plus euros that were spent on the Guardiola at Manchester City and probably Liverpool as well help. That kind of helps, you know? Uh, you think? <laughs> um, a little bit. So, Marco Rosa has been in charge now for six months. Yeah, not he even. didn't even have a full summer not prep. Even. Started July 1. Yeah, he didn't have a full summer prep because he had the Euros. He still had COVID restrictions. He didn't have his full squad available for, for practice until maybe August. Then you had key players that were still injured beyond that, that lacked fit, fitness and continuously got injured. Plus, you were playing at a clip of almost every three days. Yeah, okay? and Gio Reyna was out almost the entire G- season. Correct. The problem is that clip of playing every three days is not changing. Dortmund are in the Europa League, so you're going to play Thursday, Sunday. That's going to be the clip there, and you're still in the cup. So that's still going. It is a shortened winter break because of that shit that's going to happen 12 months from now in Qatar that that truncates the season further. So you throw all of that in there and not being able to move certain players that I'm sure they wanted to move. I'm pretty sure they wanted to get rid of Axel Witze. I you know, and Nico Schulz and so on. And it just didn't happen. Or Roman Bucchi. So you couldn't free up the budget space to bring in other players that would have fit the system better. It will come. And Marco Rose just needs the patience and the time for a team that is still in Europe. Yes, it's the Europa League. I don't care. People who say Dortmund not being the Champions League for the second half of the season is going to be damning for the recruitment of next season. That's bullcrap because they're going to be in the Champions League next season. They're second in the in the league, and they're still their favorites right now because obviously Bayern aren't in it to win the DFB Pokal. So people need to just chill a little. Given everything that I just listed, that Marco Rosa's team in this in the entire squad has been dealing with so far, the fact that those accomplishments are still there is damn near remarkable. Um, not still miraculous, for the but, part where but you remarkable. Disagree with me, though. Um, I just disagree with the sense of putting it on the coaches. Um, I, I think. He's in an unenviable position while obviously being enviable. He's Dortmund coach. I mean, there could be worse. You could be Hatta coach. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but no, I mean, it's just people need to calm down, chill a little bit, adjust their expectations to the situation at hand. And Dortmund won 3-0 when not playing well. Yes, this is against Kreuterfurt, who may go down as the worst Bundesliga side in but history. But you could pull it on Union Berlin and lose to them. <laughs> that is true. That is very true. So, you know, it, it's just just chill a little. Maybe ignore Twitter during games. That really helped me. Uh, after games, it's funny. During games, it's frustrating because it builds up your own anxiety. Well, I have um, to ignore Twitter for the most part just because the delay is so stuck. I don't want to get spoiled. Yeah, it's true. That's true. That's true. Um, plus, uh, I've heard NBA Twitter can be even worse. So you, oh, yeah, you have sure. my sympathies. You have my fullest sympathies. Um, but to me, it's going to come. Yes, Holland's going to leave after the season. I think that's, you know, Mino Raiola has pretty much said that he's out. Um, but that's that's Okay. Um, because Dublin are going to get another striker. They're going to change in that regard. Um, losing Haaland will obviously be huge, but if everybody else plays really well 
and the system becomes cohesive and not everyone's hurt all the time, it'll help. Now, granted, next season's going to be really annoying because you're going to have that really long break. And I guarantee you it's the, the World Cup break's going to come at a time when Dortmund are probably undefeated at the top of the Bundesliga and then three players get injured and all falls to shit. So I'm going to blame <laughs> FIFA now for next season becoming second. All right. So anyway, that's that's kind of my, I guess it wasn't truly a rebuttal to what you said. No, no, I, I think no. we both have a similar, I mean, everything you just said is correct. I don't disagree with that at all. I think I'm, I'm just, I'm just annoyed that we aren't there yet. But like I said, I can 100% understand why it is. It's not a coincidence or I don't, I, I don't, Marco Rosa to me hasn't really proven yet that he's a terrible coach who will never get Dortmund into this pressing shape that I want them to see. And I think there are hints that he wants to play the system and that's encouraging, but uh, I can understand why we haven't seen it yet. And obviously maybe you need some more turnover in terms of uh, players you have. Plus then, you know, one, one thing we haven't really mentioned, but obviously, uh, you know, he has also some construction sides within that team, save, you know, Don- Daniel Marlin. This is an entire freaking project of someone you have to, like, individually coach to even become near the player you need to, to play such a system because his pressing instincts, let's say, weren't really there when he arrived. It's improved, but it's still miles away. So if you, if you talk about, you know, how well Domo need to play, it's also just... You know, individual players need to uh, improve as well. And now, obviously, lastly, uh, the Marlin goal was fantastic. The way he stepped on the ball and then just flicked the ball into the net, sort of with a with a flick of his ankle, just fantastic. You know, I think was it Fanchir who said it was a little lucky. There, there wasn't any luck. There was just an entire skill goal. I'm sorry. It was it was a cool move. It, it beat the defender and the keeper without being a power shot just uh, based on on, on skill and uh, something that was uh, not expected by either defender or goalkeeper. And uh, I really applaud this goal and he's now really on a good streak. Um, I don't really want to comment too much on this here, but um, yeah, it's it's another tiny little feel-good moment we have from this game. So I'll take it. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. So... uh, <laughs> With that, we obviously hope that we'll see more skill moves by Daniel Marlin against uh, our next opponent, which is Hertha Berlin. So, uh, yeah, Hertha obviously are not doing particularly well. I think they're 14th in the Bundesliga table right now. And, uh, yeah, what can we say about Hertha? They never really look any good. So, um, after the, what what was it, the one all draw against Augsburg, where Augsburg uh, equalized like in stoppage time. Um, you know, the ex-Paul Dardai, which I think was the, s- the slowest moving sacking in the Bundesliga I've ever seen. And uh, drumroll, they've uh, then announced uh, Typhoon Korku to take over, another completely uninspiring coach. So perfect match for this club. So um, when, when we look at Hertha, there's just not much exciting there. Uh, they have scored 17th goal. They, you know, have the 13th best attack. And from those 17th, goals they have only scored seven at home which makes them the 15th best home attack and they have conceded 33 goals overall which is the 17th best so only first defense is worse than them the best goal scorer is Jovetic with five goals to his name and uh, I think as far as I know and as far as kicker reports he's going to be out 
So is uh, Suat Zeta, uh, our old friend from Schalke 04, who have uh, since been relegated. He is uh, most likely out too. So um, the only hope they have is that Pekarik could return to right back, uh, which has been described as a problematic position for Hertha. Uh, so yeah, Typhoon Korkut's record since he took over is a 2 out draw against Stuttgart, a 2-0 win against Bielefeld, and uh, most recently a 4 nothing blowout at the hands of Mainz 04, where they uh, really lost uh, terribly. I think the expected goals they produced was 0 0.5. Uh, Mainz overperformed a little bit with a 2.6. But nevertheless, um, Hertha Berlin are a team that are not fun to watch ever. And uh, we are... Every time this happens, and I don't know why uh, the Hertha away days are always in like the midst of the cold winter. Uh, I don't know when the last time Dortmund had a warm away day <laughs> uh, against Hertha Berlin. Uh, the only way you can get a warm day at the Olympiastadion is when you reach the cup final. <laughs> so, Matthias, like I just said, uh, their defense is terrible. Their structure, you can usually absolutely forget, for, forget about it. But somehow after this performance against Fürth, my optimism is at an all-time low. Since you are the eternal optimist, Matthias, please now explain to me how Dortmund are going to get away with three points against this shit team. But can they do it on a cold, blustery night in yeah. Berlin? <laughs> um, so it's not Stoke, it's Berlin. So Hatta for me, is kind of the biggest head-scratcher ever. Because if you would get a good sporting director and a good progressive thinking coach in there, given it's Berlin and the overall infrastructure and the money and that's been the, into and the money for Hatta that's there, they should be challenging for champions league. It's, it's just weird. But if you look at it now, obviously Freddy Bobic only came in the season. He's trying to clean up the mess that was there before. Um, you know, people like Christian Pritz did him absolutely uh, Christian Pritz, Michael Pritz, Pritz, whatever. Yeah. Um, long time terrible person that yeah, did not be, did not football. do him, did not do him any favors at that club. Um, you know, he inherited Paul Dadai, who I, I actually, I like Paul Dadai. You know, I, I liked him as a player, very workmanlike and so on. Um, and he was brought in to stabilize the ship after the unfortunate tenure of Bruno Labadia. That's fine. He's, he's a good stabilizing coach, but he won't get you to where you want to be. On top of that, this isn't this wasn't Paladai's side. This was almost like somebody had FIFA or football manager and went, who has a high value? Let's just buy him. Um, yeah, like without a thought. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, no thought of cohesion and squad building. And then you let someone who's actually decent for you, like Mateusz Cunha, just go away. Um, and then to say, then you bring in Typhoon Kokut. You may as well have kept Paul Dadai. I'm sorry. Um, but you bring in Typhoon Kokut, where I've never made bones about the fact that I don't think he's good enough to coach in the Regionalliga. <laughs> um, and I've heard people try to explain it. Well, you know, he's a nice guy. People, you know, players like him. He can stabilize the team. That all may be true. And when I my criticisms of Typhoon Kokut isn't about him as a human being, okay? That's I don't care about that, but I don't care about it in this context. Hatta don't need stabilization; they need 
an identity. They need they need a coach to go in there that doesn't stabilize them, but that actually progresses them. You know, and Typhoon Kokut is not that coach. I mean, if anything, Augsburg has progressed and Hatta has regressed. I didn't think that was going to be the case because Augsburg are not good, and they don't have a very good coach. Um, you know, that was another hill. Cup, though, in 2014 or 2015. Yes. No. In that year, he was the right coach at Augsburg, but it was another, it was like, no, da- he was, it was he like was, the, uh, he was the coach at uh, Hanover back yeah. then. No, no, but no, I, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about Augsburg and Weinzier. No, no. But I mean, Augsburg, Weinzier is basically Hertha Dadai. It was kind of a weird thing. Um, I, this is a game that Dortmund will win. This is a game that will not be pretty. This is a game that people will lose their patience. But Dortmund are going to win because Hatta are not good. They are inept, but they will have their opportunities because they do have individual quality players, which Fürth don't. Uh, at Bundesliga level, they can challenge Dortmund. So Hatta will ha- clearly have their moments. I have no doubt about that. Um, but I have no doubt that Dortmund are going to win this game. I I like you. I wish it wasn't, you know, a cold night in Berlin again, because I, f- I feel like it's every year that end of November, beginning of December, Dortmund have to travel to Hatta. It definitely feels that way because I can think of at least two games. Uh, one, of course, Mukoko scored in, and then another one, Royce, had like a late one, but that may have been an early spring game like right after the winter break but it feels the same because the weather's still really bad in germany (laughs) um so yeah it's i i have more i'm more optimistic than you but i'm not optimistic that this is going to be a pretty game well so i just saw from Ruhrnachrichten, they're reporting is that Hazard uh, should be okay to go that uh, basically whatever he had this injury scare wasn't really uh uh, too terrible and uh, you know I think maybe he they, they just or he he stopped at the right moment and was just lucky that the substitution was coming right up and uh, Guerrero is also uh, probably going to play so this already changes a lot so um, one thing uh, a listener has asked why Bellingham uh, received that one yellow card in the third game <laughs> <laughs> it was during a free kick when uh, the uh, third goalkeeper wanted to set his wall. He was just standing there and moving from left to right to, to block the communication. <laughs> and yeah, that's a yellow card. Uh, and uh, yeah, now he's suspended. Um, obviously, I asked last uh, last time we recorded whether he should get one uh, because he's on the, he was on four yellows uh, in Bochum, so he wouldn't have to play against third. But uh, now I'm actually kind of glad that he's out against Berlin so that he won't be out against uh, Frankfurt, which I think will be a much different game than the first, <laughs> uh, yeah, between those two. And uh, yeah, Bellingham obviously out. So that means Dahoud. Um, if if Lex allow it, I would play Dahoud and Jan and uh, Axel Witzel would definitely not feature in this game if uh, it can be avoided in any sort of way and uh, then I'm somewhat more optimistic about Dortmund's midfield because uh, you've said it many times now and I totally agree um, when Dahoud is on the field Dortmund generally play a much better 
brand of football. And uh, speaking of brand, I I think his his positive form will continue. Um, as for Hazard, I would probably start Marlon again if he's uh, recovered enough from uh, from his uh, illness or whatever he had. And then of course, uh, I think Erling Haaland just loves to score in the Olympia Stadion, and with that. The optimism is back that uh, no matter what Hertha do and no matter how much Dortmund cock up at the back, which they will, because this backline they're currently having is just not good and uh, mistakes are made, especially from the two centre-backs. And who, who knows what Kobel is up to. Uh, yeah, I just I just think that uh, Dortmund will outscore Hertha and it's probably going to be like an ugly 3-1 win or something if I had to pick a scoreline. Like where it's that's, one one like until exactly. like the 70th minute and then Dortmund finally break through or something like that. But who knows? You, you never know with this Dortmund team because if they show the performance they showed against Bochum, chance are they're 3-0 up at halftime and that's probably that. And then maybe they fall apart later. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, 3-1 is kind of what I was thinking. Personally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it just, just kind of feels that way. You know, not pretty, but effective in three points and ideally no injuries. That's that's really all I want from this game. I don't I don't really care beyond get the three points and stay healthy. And also be nice to have a game without any refereeing controversy after the game where the referee by either team isn't uh, maligned. That, that'd be swell too. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that... You know, Dortmund are in a in a very comfortable position now because the the last match day, apart from the Bayern game where they select uh, Stuttgart, nothing was good to them. I mean, for for Wolfsburg, who in theory could have been a, a competitor for Champions League spots, lost again this time to Cologne. Um, we had uh, Leverkusen and Hoffenheim take points off each other because Leverkusen, as so often, have collapsed in the second half. Uh, Union Berlin and Freiburg had a scoreless draw and uh, Leipzig had a 1-1 draw away to Augsburg so if you look at the table right now going into the final match day of the season obviously the cushion to Bayern is 6 points and I think 20 goals in just goal difference but then uh, you have a 6 point cushion to Bayer Leverkusen uh, right? you have a, a 7 point cushion to Hoffenheim then 8 points to 5th place Freiburg and uh, 10 points to 6th place Mainz, and then you have, uh, you know, Frankfurt and Berlin on the same uh, scoreline, and then uh, lastly, 12 points, I think it is the gap to RB Leipzig, and then uh, 14 to Wolfsburg. These are obviously the only teams uh, before the season where I thought we would compete against, and, you know, in terms of qualification for the Champions League, I think this is uh, going really well for Dortmund because other teams are really struggling, including Leipzig and Wolfsburg. And uh, if I had, a, had to make a projection right now, I think that it's going to be Frankfurt and Leverkusen who join Dortmund in the Champions League. Um, I don't really have an argument why it wouldn't be Hoffenheim, it's just that I don't want it to be Hoffenheim, and Frankfurt look uh, very hot right now. They look very comfortable in their attack. You know, things are starting to click. And uh, yeah, I'm already dreading <laughs> the the away trip to Frankfurt uh, at the start of the Rückrunde. So um, yeah, it's not all bad. I think if Frankfurt, you know, if they make it to the Champions League, um, that would be amazing, especially if Leipzig miss out on it. And uh, yeah, so it's, you know, 
the the Bundesliga has some perks maybe in store some stuff I'm I can hope for so Matthias um I think if we both lock in three to one I, I think that will be a good scoreline you know at this point of the season really doesn't matter if you play well or not you know I at the end of the day I don't care if Dortmund win an ugly game and don't even play well I don't give a fuck. <laughs> be honest. I don't care. No, I mean, about it's, it's about getting the points. I just care about the result at the end of the day, it, yeah. especially against Hertha. Just yeah. you know, just beat them. No matter how, no matter how lucky it is, just win the freaking game. Yeah, it's it's the ugly time of the year when it comes to playing, especially <laughs> tired legs and playing so many games for Dortmund, throwing in international matches for national team players as well. You know, it just, you hit that ugly patch. Uh, All teams tend to have it except Bayern. And and the reason why Bayern don't have it is because uh, their bench is exceptionally strong. That is the difference. That is the difference maker between Bayern and everybody else in the league. That they, their drop off to their backups is nearly negligible. If you can take off, I think even Fungstia said it, if you take off Kingsley Coman and you bring on Leroy Sané, that kind of says a lot right there. Exactly. Um, and and that's that's why they can afford to let, you know, David Alaba go because they're like, well, you know, we're, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> Our depth plays uh, at the highest international level. So that's really the big difference. And and to expect Dortmund to get there, especially in, in pandemic times um, with restrictions to to income and so on, it's just utopic right now. Yeah, it's um, impossible. I, I personally... I mean, since we talked just generally about the Bundesliga, the fact that you listed um, after Bayern, Dortmund, and Leverkusen, which I think uh, are, are three teams you expect to be in the, near the top, um, that the fact that you listed Hoffenheim, Freiburg, and Mainz as the next ones, right? that does speak to... We always say, you know, that the Bundesliga is worse than it used to be, and that's simply because we don't have a, a good title race for 10 years almost. Um, but outside of that, it's very tight in the Bundesliga. The problem is that's not necessarily good for the Bundesliga and the international scene, uh, Champions League and Europa League, because even though it's a great story for a Hoffenheim blech, or a Freiburg and a Mainz to be like, hey, we're playing Europa League, we're playing Champions League, they have no chance in those competitions. It is better for a club like uh, Gladbach or Frankfurt or Hertha to be in those positions simply because of the power that that club can do to bring in better players and be competitive. You know, here's the problem, um, Matthias, and you are absolutely right, is that there are clubs in Germany that should be in the fight for these positions right now and in the long term, and one of them 100% must be Haas V, who right now are in the second division. The other one is Schalke, who are in the second division, and you can add Werder Bremen, who are also in the second division. So Throw in Kaiserslautern. Exactly. I mean, there are just these power clubs, like you said, that should be there, that would eat up the vacuum of a Mainz, a Hoffenheim, and a Freiburg, and they failed. They are failures as clubs. They have failed. Uh, throw in Köln. Köln should be right up there given what that club is, what its infrastructure is, what the city it's in. Because no offense to Freiburg or Zinsheim or Mainz, it isn't Köln, it isn't Hamburg, you know, in that or, okay, Gelsenkirchen, whatever. This, this is why I rest not, my it's hopes. not the That's why I rest my hopes on Frankfurt this season, that I hope that they can, on, on the long term, establish themselves 
as a Champions League team. That would be cool if they get become the fourth best team in the Bundesliga and maybe uh, Leipzig struggles, continues and, uh, you know. Other thing is, I also really don't need Bayer Leverkusen. If the Cartellan could just come in and say, hey, how about we end this entire operation here? I, I, I'd be out on the street celebrating for like a good 10 minutes. Um, but Matthias, <laughs> we're one hour and 20 minutes into the recording and we're yet to mention the Europa yeah. League draw. So oh, yeah. since you're the oldie here and remember better than I do when Claudio Reyna could not beat Jens Lehmann in a penalty shootout, um, what are you making of this draw? Well, as a former resident of Scotland... Here we um, go. ...where I have a lot of love and affection for Scotland, um, that love and affection doesn't necessarily extend to Rangers. Um, I, yeah, I mean, that was a great historic battle. Um, Dortmund have had, and Rangers have had a few over the years. I want to say even in Dortmund's European Cup winners, Cup campaign, I think they may have played against Rangers, but I, I could be wrong because I'm not that old. Screw you. Um... <laughs> The, uh, I think it's it obviously plays well for Dortmund. Dortmund are the better side. They would be the favorites, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Rangers, who came back from the quote-unquote ashes, uh, led by Steven Gerrard, which, I'll be honest, um, I didn't see that coming uh, against a overpoweringly dominant Celtic over the last few years in Scotland. So all power to them for achieving that. Um so I, it's going to be an interesting one. I do hope, and this is what, you know, to echo Marco Rose's sentiments, I hope that when they do play, that fans are allowed to be in the stadium because it would be a real shame for two very passionate fan bases to not be able to be there in a stadium for something like that. And yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I think Dortmund are the favorites. I think Dortmund should win both legs. But then again, I think, thought Dortmund would, you know, do that against Sporting. So <laughs> I've been wrong before. Um, or Cyprus teams. Um, <laughs> but no, I think this will be a fun one. I'm not a Rangers supporter. Um, I'm not a Celtic supporter. Even though I lived in Scotland, uh, my, my interests were more towards Edinburgh because that's where I lived. But uh, yeah, it'll it'll be an, an interesting one. And of course, Dortmund have some, some history with uh, Rangers, given that Stefan Klos for many, many years was the uh, keeper for Rangers. So it's going to be the Stefan Klos derby. Yeah. yeah, I think he's already been interviewed by Rune Officer about it. Uh, and uh, yeah, obviously one of my all-time favorite players. Uh, uh, when I was a kid, he was just my icon. And uh, yeah, I was very sad when he, I think he left in 1998 and there was some controversy around it too think he had to sue the club or something i don't know exactly what happened but uh yeah tremendous goalkeeper and uh yeah so something that that ties both clubs together obviously um both have faced each other i think eight times uh first time being in the cup winners cup in uh, 66 uh where glasgow won two to one and then uh, in the same season in the way leg uh, or in the home leg rather it was a scoreless draw I'm seeing another scoreless draw later in the UEFA Cup uh, and a 2-0 loss against Rangers and a 2-2 draw against Rangers, another 2-2 draw. And then in the UEFA Cup um, in 99, 
2000. Uh, Rangers won their home game, but then Dortmund came back in the in their home game, and uh, yeah, it was a 5-1 uh, win for Dortmund after penalties. So uh, yeah, a lot of history between those sides, especially in the in the 90s and in the 80s. Um, uh, obviously, it's it's always good to see when uh, you know you, you you see Dortmund play in years in 66 and 67. Just you know just once again explains how, how rich the history is of this Dortmund team. And uh, in that breath, once again, reminder to buy Terry DeFellin's book <laughs> because you can read more about it. And uh, yeah, with that, Matthias, I think we can end it here. Um, we've both given our scoreline predictions. So um, if people want to hackle you again about Mark Rose needing to be fired, uh, where can they do that on Twitter? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matiasuk. Wonderful. You can find me at Stefan Butzko. You can follow all of us at Yellow Wallpot on Twitter and Facebook. If you want to subscribe to this podcast, please do that on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. If you want to contribute financially, go to the Yellow Wall. No, go to patreon.com slash the Yellow Wall <laughs> this way. And uh, yeah, other than that, as always, everyone out there, thank you for listening. Stay safe and shall you not listen to the next episode because Dortmund lost to Hertha and you just don't want to forget about it, then uh, in that case, uh, enjoy your holidays and goodbye.